J'adore Christmas. I knew you would laugh. There's nothing funny about that. I love Christmas. I really do. By the way, if we have not met, my name is Charlie Salamone, lead pastor here. And wow, uh, this is the most people I have seen in one room in a very long time. Um, Merry Christmas. So I do love Christmas. I love so many things about Christmas. We have our family traditions, as you do. I'm sure one of yours is probably worshiping, coming here on Christmas Eve. Uh, one of our family's favorite Christmas traditions is we always watch uh, a Char Charlie Brown's Christmas. You guys watch that? That's like, that's one of my favorite things. Once Christmas starts, we turn that on. That's one of the first things. And this year, I was thinking more about it. And if you guys wouldn't mind just thinking with me for a little bit, I was thinking more about it and watching what Charlie was going through. It's a, it's a great name, by the way, isn't it? Charlie. Charlie Brown. Charlie, he's going through in the beginning. If you don't know, and I'm talking about the old one, the old version. Um, there's a new one. I don't have time for that. But there's an old one. It's hard to find. But it's, it's, it's precious. So in the beginning, our friend Charlie, the hero of our story, is uh, he's going through a bit of a, an existential crisis, um, meaning that he says to you know, his friends in the beginning, he says, I like Christmas. There's so many things about Christmas that I like, but I'm just not happy. Even though I have these things in my life I like, I'm just not happy. And... Um, he starts to, to, to say this phrase that comes out, what is Christmas really about? It seems like even though there's these things that he likes, there seems to be a lack of purpose and a lack of meaning. And, well, you can, you can watch that show, but it's um, the, the kind of the, the, once more, the existential cry of our friend Charlie is just, can someone tell me what Christmas is really all about? Um, I'm using some big words, I realize, existential, existential. I used that word a couple times. Uh, a little bit about myself. Um, before I had ever, uh, before it ever crossed my mind of not only being a pastor, but before it even never crossed my mind of becoming a Christian, when I still thought Christianity was a, a problem and a bad thing in the world, when I thought the Bible and all the people who lived for that were wasting their lives and causing problems in the world. Back when I really didn't like Christianity, I was a college student and I found myself drawn to philosophy and I ended up becoming a philosophy major. And um, as a philosophy major, one of the things that you have to study is the existential philosophers. That's kind of a, um, that's a, that's a big topic within philosophy, existentialism, the existential philosophers. And I realize that's a big word that I should probably define. And to be honest, existentialism is not the easiest thing to define. Um, but uh, this is a definition that, that makes sense to me. I read this somewhere. Existentialism examines mortal man's search for meaning in a seemingly meaningless universe. The search for meaning in a seemingly meaningless universe. And uh, if you look into existentialism, there's going to be two names that stand above the rest. There are two existential philosophers that are kind of like the kingpins. One of them uh, was a German philosopher by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche. 
Okay, and just remember that. We're going to come back to these fellows, Friedrich Nietzsche. And then the other one was a Danish philosopher by the name of Soren Kierkegaard. These were the, um, uh, in, in essence, the founders, the, the foundational philosophical philosophers. Well, if you ask Google anyways, okay, because I did Google it this week. Uh, if you ask Google, actually, uh, if you Google existential philosophy, you're going to see these two uh, philosophers, um, Frederick Nietzsche and Soren Kierkegaard. By the way, if you're wondering, we are going to make it to the baby in a manger. <laughs> We're going to make it there. You're just, uh, you guys brought a philosophy major to be your pastor, so now you have to, you got to hear a bunch of other stuff. So, um, uh, I asked Google, I actually was curious, I Googled um, who was the first existential philosopher. And Google, the first thing it said on the top was Soren Kierkegaard. And I was like, huh. So I called my wife up. This was just a few days ago. I called her up. And I'm like, babe, um, I need you to ask Alexa a question. You know, like Amazon Alexa. We have one in our kitchen. Ask Alexa who the first existential philosopher was. And she says... Yeah, she said, uh, Alexa said it was Soren Kierkegaard. And I was like, that's not right. Um, Google's wrong, Alexa's wrong. Because as it stands, as it stands, the very first existential philosopher, way before Charlie Brown, way before uh, Frederick Nietzsche, before Soren Kierkegaard, there was another one. And uh, well, what we're going to do today is we're going to dive into this topic of existentialism. And I know you probably came here thinking, I'm just going to come and I'm going to sing. I'm going to actually make you think for just a little bit. It'll be quick. It'll be painless. Um, we're going to consider, we're going to consider um, some of the words and the ideas of Frederick Nietzsche, brilliant man, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, another brilliant man, and then another one who came way before that. Um, first, I'm going to pray, and then God's going to help me, and we're going to, we're going to do this. Father God, help me speak your truth clearly. Let it be evident that it's your truth, not just the rambling uh, of a philosopher, but you, Lord, we want to behold you. We want to receive you. We want to worship you. We want to know the meaning of life, the meaning of Christmas, the meaning of life. And we would ask that your spirit, your Holy Spirit, would make that plain, evident, beautiful, um, true in our eyes as it is true. So guide me to that end in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, okay, okay. So, um, Alexa's wrong, Google's wrong. Existentialism is the, is the search for meaning in a seemingly meaningless life. Well, um, Kierkegaard and Nietzsche, they were in the mid-1800s. You rewind 2,800 years before them, so like 1,000 years before the baby in a manger, there was this guy named Solomon, super smart. He was in, people would come from all around to hear his wisdom. Definitely a philosopher. And let me just read a little bit of one of his books. And this is the Bible, by the way. I'm reading the Old Testament. And you're going to see right away this is existentialism. Um, uh, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? So you can see, it's addressing the same thing. What is this all about? What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose? And, uh, well, Solomon here is saying, he, he's, he's having what, what we would call an existential crisis, right? Have you heard that term? He's feeling existential dread, What's the point of my life? And he says here, it says in, in, in this English translation, meaningless, meaningless. Um, 
Uh, in the Hebrew, the word actually means a little more than that. What it means literally is vapor or mist. What he's saying is it's, it's, it's a vapor. It's, it's, I can't grab it. There's no substance. It's fleeting. Um, the New Testament, the book of James says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then is gone. That seems to be what Solomon is reflecting upon. It seems so meaningless when you think about it this way. Um, beloved, once more, we are going to get to good news, but we're, we're going to walk through just a little bit of um, existential dread, if we can, for just a little bit. <laughs> Merry Christmas. But we're going to do that. It'll be good for all of us. Um, so, so he's saying, meaningless, meaningless. And, and uh, um, by the way, that's not the, the whole message of the Bible, obviously. I hope you know that. But he is, he is saying something that we can feel. Many people have felt this. They've looked around and they've asked those same, same questions. What is the purpose of life? What am I really doing here? He says, what do people gain from all their labors which they toil under the sun? Um, that idea, under the sun, what it means um, through the book of Ecclesiastes, what the word under the sun, it means basically in this physical life that we can see. Look around. We're living this life, right? All this toil. We get up every day. We work. Even if you don't have a job, you work. It's just part of life. It's hard. Life is hard. You know this. I don't have to convince you of this. Life is full of labor. It's full of hardship. What is it all for? What are we working for? What does the pain in our lives amount to? And so he says, under the sun, it means everything we can see. If we just take everything we can see, what's the point of it? Well, um, so uh, let's fast forward. Fast forward to one of these philosophers I mentioned, Frederick Nietzsche, uh, one of the founders of existential philosophy. He said some pretty, uh, sorry, I'm distracted because those are my kids. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> um, I'm not distracted by any of yours. I love children, okay? Otherwise, I would not have uh, sans enfants, you know? Um, so, uh, Frederick Nietzsche, this is what he said. These are kind of famous words. Frederick Nietzsche, a little bit about this fellow. He grew up in the mid-1800s. He was the son of a pastor. So, PK, we got five of them right over there. We got, um, he was a pastor's kid. Something um, turned him off from religion. Because uh, what he famously said was, um, <laughs> thanks, babe. <laughs> Sans confidence. I signed up for this. I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love it. She loves it most of the time. Um, plus détente. Uh, so, uh, Frederick Nietzsche, what he famously said, he said this, looking at the world in the way he saw it, he said, God is dead. God remains dead. And we killed him. What he meant was, we're coming to understand as a world in the time of the Enlightenment that we don't live for God anymore. He says, now, and, and I would say now at the state of point that we're at as a society now, that is even more true. We wake up and we live our lives. The normal state of the world is to live as if God is not. Um, God is dead. 
We've killed him. And this is what he said. God is dead. God remains dead. We killed him. And how then shall we comfort ourselves? Meaning, what he meant was, if we're not going to base our lives on God, what is there then? He was realizing, if you take God out of the picture, what's the point of life? What is this all about? What does anything mean anything? We're all going to die. We live and then we die. What is the meaning? And some people misunderstood Nietzsche and they thought that he was a nihilist, meaning this person who just said there's no point of anything. It's all just, um, let's just live in this depressed, pointless life until we die. That's what a nihilist, there's no point of anything. But Nietzsche wasn't a nihilist because he actually offered a solution to this feeling of meaningless, okay? And uh, what his solution was, you feel like your life is meaningless, Meaning there's no transcendent meaning. What you do is you become a superman. That was, the German was Ubermensch. You become Ubermensch. That's what the world needs. In the face of apparent meaningless, what we need is the emergence of the Ubermensch, Superman. You need to become a Superman. What that means is there's no transcendent meaning. He's like, I'll grant that. There's no transcendent meaning. There's no meaning above us. All there is is everything under the sun. All there is is this life. So what you have to do is you need to become a superman, meaning you need to create meaning. You need to create meaning where there is no no meaning. There's no meaning. You need to create it for yourself. Okay, Nietzsche, how do you do that? You have to be courageous. You have to be bold. You um, You might have to go against the grain of society. You need to live an authentic life. And you need to just take the meaning where you can find it. Create meaning. You know, interestingly, um, I, just, just two hours ago in my office, I came across this advertising campaign by Calvin Klein. And some of the most famous people in, in our modern day culture has been part of this advertising campaign. Uh, Billie Eilish, uh, uh, Kendall Jenner, or Kylie, one of those two. Um, uh, Bella Hadid, is that one of them? Um, famous people, super famous people have been part of this advertising campaign. And the name of the campaign is Speak Your Truth. And that's kind of the idea of like live this bold, authentic, like there's no transcendent meaning. You, just, you make meaning, okay? Live your authentic life and be that Superman. Live courageously. Speak your truth. What I'm trying to say is Most of you in this room probably don't know who Nietzsche is. You probably don't know his concept of the Uberman, but uh, the the Ubermensch, the Superman, you probably don't know that. But as a whole, we've kind of bought into that idea, right? Okay? Like, we're going to create meaning for ourselves. We're going to decide what meaning is. We're going to create it. And what's fascinating to me is Solomon, so back, we're back 2,800 years ago, Solomon, who wrote this book of the Bible, he tried to do just that. That's what this book is about. The book is about him trying to be the Ubermensch. Because you turn the page, and this is what it, what it says next. Solomon says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. 
I, own, I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. So you want to say, you create meaning, you be bold, you live your life, take this world by the horns, be the Superman. This fellow, if there was ever a fellow who did it, this guy did it. In fact, if you Google today who are the richest, who is the richest person ever to live in all time, some of the lists, some of the historians actually put this guy, Solomon, number one. They estimate his wealth in today's dollar was $2.2 trillion. $2.2 trillion, that's like 10 times more than like Elon Musk, who, you know, last I had looked was, you know, recently one of the most wealthy people alive today. So this guy's super rich. He says that he built this awesome palace. He built an estate. He just, he did not deny himself anything he wanted. He had, and this is, this is common knowledge for those who study the Bible. Solomon is known also for having uh, a harem of 700 women. He mentions that, mentions his harem. It doesn't say here how many it is. It says of other places in the Bible. This guy, you want to live an authentic life? He loved women. He gathered lots of them, and he married a lot, and he took a bunch of other ones to be concubines. Not gonna, it's Christmas Eve. I can't believe I'm getting into this. Um, but the point is, the point is this. The point is this. If there was ever a guy who tried to be the Ubermensch, it was Solomon. And what's the conclusion? What did he discover after all that? Well, keep reading. Verse 10 says this I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Live bold and authentic. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. He tried, and there was no substance at the end of the day. He did it. He worked hard. There was nothing to find pleasure in. There was no, there was no happiness. And actually, you keep reading a couple verses later. He says, so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. It's vapor. There was no substance. There was nothing for me to grab. Here's a sad thing that I've observed that if you can relate with, maybe you'll also find it sad. Um, have you ever tormented a cat with a laser pointer? Have you, 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 you probably either have done it, been tempted to do it, or seen someone else do it. If not, let me fill you in how it goes. You get a laser pointer, start shining around a room, cats go crazy, it'll chase it, and for about 20 minutes, you'll entertain yourself watching this cat go crazy chasing this laser pointer. And then he's working so hard, so hard, so hard, losing his mind, Eventually, you get bored. You get bored of this, and you're like, okay, I'll let him catch it. And so after all that work, he goes, and he's like, this is my moment. Finally, little red dot, you're mine. There's nothing there. There's no substance. There's nothing to be found. Beloved, my friends, this seemingly case of meaningless this, this vapor, it would be one thing if life was easy. 
Well, so what? So what? I lay down, I put my feet up for 80 years or so. I watch TV. So what? But life isn't easy. Life's hard. And there's pain. You know it's true. You, read, you actually flip the page, and that's what Solomon says. I saw under the sun oppression, pain, and, and, and there was no one to wipe the tears away from the oppressed. There's injustice in this world. You know there is. There's hardship, there's pain. He's like, I observed this man who worked so hard, who said to himself, why am I working so hard? What's this for? But he wasn't able to stop. Even though he knew, I'm not gaining anything from my hard work, he wasn't able to stop. And he says, this is a miserable business. It's meaningless. What is it all for? You know, Nietzsche, um, he had this idea of becoming a Superman. This is kind of, this is also sad. He also wasn't able to achieve it. Um, uh, at the age of, um, let's see, would have been, uh, at the age of 43, 44, on January 3rd, 1889, he had a mental breakdown in the streets of Turin. He was placed in an asylum, and he stayed there for 11 years until his death at age 55 in the year 1900. And I do not bring that up to disparage Nietzsche. Mental illness is a real thing that can fall on any of us. Um, but I bring it up to say that this idea that you can be this Superman and that's going to bring substance and satisfaction to your life. This idea of only I can live my true self. If only I could be authentic and be all the things that I see on TV with Bella Hadid and Kylie Jenner and, and all these other people that seem to be living their best life and being Superman, Superwomen. If I could do that, if I could grasp it, then I would find meaning and the lesson that we learned from history, from Solomon, from the life of Nietzsche as well, it's a chasing after the wind. It can't be found. Okay. So what then? Um, well, I did tell you there was another philosopher. And this guy is actually known as the father of existentialism, uh, Soren Kierkegaard. Soren Kierkegaard, Danish philosopher, and um, on one hand, he agreed, on one hand, he agreed with, um, with, with Solomon um, and, and Nietzsche, in a sense, in, the, in, a, in a sense. Let me, let me read just a quote by Soren Kierkegaard. This is also from the 1800s. He says, as I grew up, I saw the real world, meaning life under the sun, okay? As I grew up, I saw the real world, and I began to laugh, and I haven't stopped laughing since. I saw that the meaning of life was to get a respectable job, that the brightest joy of love was to marry a well-off girl, that wisdom was what the majority said it was, that passion was to be able to give a speech, that kindness was having good table manners, and religious piety was going to church once a year. This I saw, and I laughed. By the way, I do realize the irony that um, <laughs> some of you haven't seen since last year. But, uh, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't, couldn't resist. Um, here's, here's my point. Here's my point. Here's the point of uh, our friend Kierkegaard. I looked around 
at the meaning that people seemed to live by, and I saw it as empty. And, and, and hear this, he was grieved. This is one thing he said. He says, how did I come into the world? Why was I not consulted? And if I am compelled to take part in it, where is the director? I want to see him. <laughs> so Kierkegaard, you can see, had a little bit of a different bent than Nietzsche. Nietzsche looked around and said, God is dead. Kierkegaard looked around and said, I want to see him. I want to talk to him. I want to talk to God. And, um, well, this is the solution he offered to this seemingly meaningless life. The solution that Kierkegaard offered, and this is his most famous idea, is what you must do if you want meaning in this apparent meaningless life, what you must do, you must make a leap of faith. You've heard that term, leap of faith. It comes from Kierkegaard. That's his idea. Leap of faith, that's what you must do. Okay, well, what does that mean? How does one do that? What, is a, what, what do you mean, leap of faith? Sounds, sounds good, sounds spiritual. What do we do? Well, to answer that, um, well, hold that thought, okay? Hold that thought. Charlie Brown, can anyone tell me what Christmas is all about? And the most epic scene, Linus emerges, right? Okay, Linus emerges and he says, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And he walks up on stage and he says, lights, please. And he reads, and there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And then Linus walks back and he says, That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. I remember, I, I remember very clearly. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. Um, Yet I remember being in my basement, had to be no older than six years old, watching this. And I remember Linus saying the term, glory to God in the highest. And even then, I was able to perceive that there was something there. There was a substance. Obviously, I wouldn't have used those words back then. But that's what we're talking about here. Substance, not a vapor, but something real. Something real. Glory to God in the highest. Notice, God is in the highest. He's not under the sun. This is beyond that which we can just look around and see. Beloved, if you live for only what you can see, you're chasing after a vapor, something you'll never grab. But what Christmas is all about is God in the highest. God in the highest. Giving us a gift. Coming down. Now, I'm, I'm going to read another quote. Another quote by Frederick, or by uh, Soren Kierkegaard. God creates out of nothing. God in the highest. He creates out of nothing. Wonderful, you say. Yes, to be sure. But he does 
what is still more wonderful, he makes saints out of sinners. This is the glory of God in the highest in giving this child. Do you see what God is doing? He is offering meaningless man meaning. He's offering us substance, life. Let me tell you how this played out in this passage we just read. So there were some shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Let's put ourselves in their shoes for just a moment. You want to talk about a meaningless life? You want to talk about a meaningless life? How would you like to spend all of your day, every day, watching sheep? Because that's what their lives were. Waking up early, going to bed late, in the cold, in the rain, to watch sheep. Day after day after day. The glory of the Lord shines upon them. There's a Savior. There's a Savior. That was the message given. Uh, a, a way to make saints out of sinners. Meaning you don't deserve this. You don't deserve God. Uh, you start thinking about concepts of sin and, and justice and heaven and hell. It's easy to get a, talk about a sense of dread. Existential dread. It goes beyond that. But the gift from God and the glory of the highest is the gift of a savior. A savior. A, a, a way for sinners to be made into saints. That's the gift of Christmas. And so, and so these shepherds, here's what happened. Here's what happened. So the angels leave. Pick it up in verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Okay, okay, I want to break it down for you. This baby was born. What does that mean for us? What do we do? Kierkegaard said you take a leap of faith. That's what you do. What does it mean? And I think we can see it in these shepherds. They're living their lives. They're, leaving, they're living there what can see to us very meaningless lives. But if we're honest with ourselves and we've learned the wisdom of Solomon, we're all shepherds wasting our lives under the sun in that sense. There's nothing to be gained from simply the work of our hands, whether we have a mansion or just a couple sheep to watch. They're living their meaningless lives. They hear the news of the Savior. Now, if you're a shepherd, you're not supposed to leave your sheep. But in this occasion, they did. It says they hurried off. They left immediately. And I want to break it down for you. To take a leap of faith means this. There's a Savior, and there is substance there. There is meaning there. And I'm going to take this meaningless life, and I'm going to leave it. Jesus said it this way. If anyone loses his life for my sake, he's going to find it. If you try to keep this life, you're going to lose it. If you try to keep this meaningless life, you're going to lose it. You can't hold on to it. It's a vapor. But if you lose it for my sake, you're going to find it. What does it mean to lose it? Okay, what does it mean? What does it mean? Do you want us all to become monks or something? No. No, no, no. This is something that happens in the heart. 
What it means is, I've been living this meaningless life, chasing after meaningless things, chasing after the wind, like a cat chases after a laser pointer my whole life. I'm going to put you first, God. I'm going to live for you first, because that's the message of Christmas. Have it. A savior. He's yours, and he's more valuable. This life is more valuable than what you've been chasing after, because this is something you can keep. This is something you can hold. This is substance. This is life. Um, one more word from Solomon, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting verse 22. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun all their days? Their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I'm just, this is in, in, in Solomon's wisdom that he's sharing. He gives here something. Yeah, we're all living lives. And those shepherds, they went back to work. It says that. They returned. They returned to their sheep. But it says they returned praising God. They're still doing their work, but now what's the difference? God is with them. And that is the gift. God himself to be with us. And that's what Solomon says here. He says, this is the gift of God. This is from the hand of God. There's nothing better than living your life going to work, enjoying your family. There's nothing better than actually doing that and being able to enjoy it, having joy, fulfillment. In this life, in this life, there's nothing better, he says. And it's from the hand of God. For without him, who can enjoy it? Who can do it? And this is my point. The gift of Christmas is him. To have him. To have him with us. To have him as our reason and our purpose for life. This is my great appeal to you. This is my plea to you. On Christmas, on Christmas, don't be one of those people who just come to church, say your religious words, go home. It's all nice, isn't it? But have never made the leap of faith. The leap of faith says, I'm going to live for this God. I'm going to live for you. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's a substance. There's a substance to be found. There's a meaning. It's, it's, it's not a wind. It's not chasing after the wind. It's something to be found. Um, Lord Jesus, my prayer is that we would find you. We would take that leap. In the secret places of our heart, in the secret places of our heart, we would say, God, I want to live for you. Help me. Come into my life. The scriptures say that you're a savior. Save me. Save me from this meaningless life, these pursuits that will never satisfy. Save me from that and give me yourself. I've heard that you're a good God. Come into my life and show yourself to be good. Lord, I ask you to do this work in our hearts and give us this joy that we read about, the joy of having you. Um, we ask this in your name, Jesus, uh, the Son of God. Amen.